Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hey, 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 and welcome to the Rotoviz College Football Show. Your host, Dave Fonleco, with me today, Matt Wispy, Jordan Hoover. We did it. We survived a beautiful weekend of college football. Nothing went poorly. Everything was perfect. Unicorns and rainbows all around. I celebrated a beautiful Oregon victory and riding off into the sunset. I'm, I couldn't be happier, boys. What a week. What a week. Right? I mean. That's what happened, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not mad about Northwestern Stanford at all. No, I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm not mad. You're mad. I'm actually not crying. It's just, it's just dusty in here. Exactly. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I, I'm, I did, I had a nice week. Uh, yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I was gonna ask you boys what you're drinking, but I'm just, I'm, I'm still drinking my own tears. So, man, that was <laughs> rough. We'll get in, we'll get into Oregon later. We've got a good show for you today. We are coming to you on a Monday afternoon, so things are a little bit different on our end. Uh, happy Labor Day to everyone. But yeah, we're going to get this show out nice and early this week. Uh, next week will probably be earlier in the week, and then uh, we'll be back on our normal Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening type of uh, scheduling. Uh, but yeah, you, you get you get to hear us all right after the weekend. Everything is still fresh in our minds and in our hearts. Uh, yeah, it's it was it was something else. It was an in- it was an interesting week. Uh, I think. Low key, huge news like that. I haven't seen as many people talking about as I as I expected. But the loss of J T. Daniels for the Trojans is is huge. Like I know a lot of people had 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 some some hopes for for USC this year, and losing Daniels in this first game of the of the season uh, to that ACL injury is is pretty big. Uh, Jordan, what what what's the big takeaway uh, for you for, from this uh, this injury? I mean, it's really unfortunate because Daniels last year as a true freshman was a little bit up and down, but I think overall it was a pretty positive performance. And the new offensive coordinator coming in, all the talent surrounding him, it really seemed like it was setting up to be a legitimate like second-year leap for him. Now I believe they're going with uh, Slovis, I believe is his last name. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I don't know much about him, but I do think that I mean, I think that it is a step back at at the very least in experience. Um, And I think that we'll probably have to readjust the way that we look at USC moving forward uh, for the rest of the season. Because I think that, you know, depending on how comfortable the coaches are inserting a, a true freshman into this offense, who I'm assuming has probably had limited reps with the starters, um, in uh, leading up to the season, I, I think they might have to change the way they operate a little bit, maybe lean more on the run game. So it's something that we'll have to we'll have to monitor moving forward from a betting perspective and also from just a uh, a Debbie and fantasy perspective. Yep, and they uh, I'm pretty sure they get Stanford, who you already talked about a little bit. They get Stanford at home this week, so it's not like they get a, a nice uh, cupcake matchup to to kind of test the waters with this new quarterback. It's going to be uh, 
rivalry type game we'll see right, right, right away yeah, yeah it's gonna be it's gonna yeah. be it's gonna be good definitely uh something to uh to, 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 to think about as i stutter my way through that sentence uh matt for what, what it's worth yeah please for what it's worth about daniel with the daniel's injury is that it at least puts it there's a non-zero percent chance that jack sears who just recently enrolled in the transfer portal after he lost the starting job it at least puts that there's like a non-zero percent chance that he makes a return to the team um he was a 2017 four-star prospect um and from based on most of the reports was competing with Daniels all the way up until they announced Daniels is the starter kind of late in the process. But I, I think that's the one thing that could make it okay is if Sears does come back, he's a guy that's experienced in the program was good enough that they were considering to be the starter. I think that's going to be one of those storylines that if it gets resolved this week and he makes the return, I don't know if much changes in my expectations for USC, but I was also lower on them. I thought they were a probably still a three to four loss team, but I do think that if he comes back or heck, even if this Slovic Keaton Slovis, hope I'm getting that right. Even if he sure. <laughs> comes in, he'll they'll turn into a, uh, I mean, maybe lose one extra game because of it. I, I don't know. I think that when you run a spread offense, if your quarterback's even competent, he can throw most of the short passes. So I don't know. I Not much is changing for me on them, but I was also lower than most people. I just think that the teams they're supposed to beat, they're going to out-athlete on the field, and the teams that they're not supposed to beat, they probably still won't. Right. No, that's probably... Uh, a reasonable take, but I don't like to be reasonable. I like to be outlandish. Sorry, do you need me to go fire? I'll <laughs> no. go fire. No, we'll, we'll we'll save that. We'll save that for later. What were some of the big storylines that uh, that that kind of jumped out to you after? I mean, a lot of a lot of crazy stuff. I mean, Georgia State upsetting Tennessee. That was you know that was, that was pretty great. We saw Jacob Eason look just absolutely incredible in his first game for Washington. At least I saw that. I, I watched Heisman. quite a bit. I, I watched quite a bit of that. I, Iowa State was a fun one. Boise State was a fun one. I mean, there were some really good games. Uh, I was I was so tired because my dog uh, woke up super early. I have a puppy, and uh, I was just like, okay. Everyone had left the house, and it was like the third quarter of the Boise State-Florida State matchup, and everyone had left, and I was like, I'm just going to take a nap for a little bit. But the game got too interesting, and I couldn't sleep, and so I was just like, watched the whole thing. It was great. Uh, I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed Saturday for, well, up until about you know 10 o'clock, <laughs> 10 o'clock in the 10. evening, and that's about when things... Uh, shifted for me so the one thing that i i kind of took away from this weekend and jordan you sent me a tweet about this from warren sharp i think it was that we sort of began to overvalue what returning production really means when it comes to betting and then specifically just trying to figure out how good a team can be like in a lot of these situations, if a guy, these players that are returning, they may not actually be great players. So even if they do have chemistry, even if they do have familiarity with the system, sometimes if they're a garbage player, they're a garbage player. And I think the prime example for me on this one was I heard all offseason how Iowa State is returning their offensive line. They're bringing back their offensive line. And it's so they're going to be in such good shape because they're bringing back it. They don't have to wait to gel. But the problem was, is I, I also heard all offseason how David Montgomery was a great running back because he managed to be a good running back in spite of his offensive line. And it's these counterproductive or these counterintuitive thoughts where it's Iowa State is, is lucky because they're bringing back this line. But at the same time, David Montgomery 
had to do it all on his own. So me seeing Northern Iowa kind of hang with Iowa State, yes, I was shocked to see it because it's Northern Iowa. But at the same time, I didn't expect Iowa State to be this great team. And part of it was that I wasn't believing that one of the core pieces of I mean, their system is going to be how good is their offensive line. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball effectively this year. And I think if they're going to be a contender in the Big 12, Brock Purdy is going to have to be putting up ridiculous numbers. Yeah, no, I think I think I think that's that's spot on. How about you, Jordan? What 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 uh, big walk uh, takeaways for you this week? Um, I mean, I think that the point that Matt made is is valid at least for the first week of 2019. But I I do think also that again we always talk about sample size, and I think that over the long run, teams that do return more production probably typically do perform better. I think that. This week one might just be an anomaly in that sense, but it is interesting, um, you know, just to observe, you know, for the very least. But yeah, I mean, overall, I think we saw obviously Alabama, um, we'll, we'll get to that game, but I think that the way that they sort of just slow played Duke and basically just ground them down and suffocated them like we're used to seeing, despite the injuries and suspensions, they're just, you know. I think we we probably sort of anticipated that happening, but it was it was something to see, especially with a depleted defense. Um, and overall, I mean, I I think that it was an exciting week, and I think that you hit on a bunch of the big uh, talking points earlier. And yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot to unpack as we move forward. A lot of pretty big pretty big things happened. Yeah, for sure. And we're, we're of course, going to get into all, a lot of them, if not all of them. We've got, yeah, like I said, we've got a good show for you. We're going to jump into our recap of what took place in the games that we picked. Then we're going to do a little bit of Debbie talk, and then we'll fa- finish up the episode with, yeah, just looking forward to, the, to this upcoming slate of games, and we will make our picks, give you some locks. Uh, but before that, just give me a brief second to tell you about our good friends over at FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. Those of you ready for your greatest challenge need to take a look at this year's FFPC main event. What is the main event exactly? Well, it's the world's biggest event in season-long fantasy football, and this year it's coming to you with a half a million dollar grand prize and over $3.1 million in prizes. That's that's a lot of cash. Drafts are going off every day and will continue through the start of the season or until the main event is sold out. The FFPC will also have hundreds of online drafts going off through next Saturday, September 7th. So if you're looking for some last-minute drafts where you can make some serious cash, you definitely want to check out their draft lobby. So go to FFPC, check it out, and you will not be disappointed. All right, gentlemen, let's talk a little bit about some of the games. Let's start with uh, the one I, uh, I I watched from beginning to end. No, 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 not that one. The other one, the one that I was excited about, Boise State, Florida State. Man, a, a tale of two halves. And, and man, it was it was really fun watching this game, watching Boise State find a way to get back into it. And then by the second half, especially the fourth quarter, they were just the dominant team. And it was, if it would have been any other team other than Florida State with what they've been in the last couple of years, I'd say it was shocking to see them fall apart. But uh, yeah, any any Willie Taggart team, I, I think this is in the range of outcomes for. So uh, yeah, I, I, I picked this one correctly, which made me very happy. But wh- what do you guys think? What what was your big takeaway from this game? Uh, how did it, how was it different or, or, uh, how did it fall in line with what your expectations were? Let's start with you, Matt. I'm actually just going to say I'm impressed overall with Boise State. 
when you're on the road in a situation like that and what turned into a true road game, it's hard to really stay, I guess, not focused, but like continue trying when you are kind of getting dominated. And when it's 31 to 19 at half, there's a lot. I mean, there's only so many adjustments that the coach can come in and say like, hey, you're pretty much getting dominated across the board. How are we? Uh, what What's the change that's going to make make this all work? And I think Bachmeyer. Is that how it's yeah, pronounced? Yeah, baby. This, yeah, he looked Bachmeyer good. Bachmeyer is. I, I am pleasantly surprised by him, and I, it mostly comes down to the fact that I thought the, the loss of Brett Rippon was going to matter, and it's weird to say that because Brett Rippon might not actually have ever been good, but Bachmeyer at least showed enough poise that I mean he had thirty-one. I mean, I'm sorry, fifty-one pass attempts in this game, and I mean he seemed effective. The entire time, I should say, once the game kind of turned in their favor. And then I was a little bit surprised to see Mahone emerge as the the top running back. I had actually kind of had my eggs in the Andrew Van Buren basket in uh, college fantasy. So I was a little bit disappointed, but he was effective. And at 5.9 a carry, he's definitely someone who I am now going to start keeping an eye on for potentially Debbie because – Boise State has produced good running backs over the past few years. Right. How about how about you, Jordan? Yeah, I all credit really does go to Boise State because it was a really tough position that they were put in. Initially, it was difficult because of the travel and the heat, and then to have the game move from a neutral site to uh, like like Matt said, a, a true home game for Florida State in Tallahassee. You really just have to give them all the credit in the world that they hung in there, took punch after punch after punch, and you know, when they were supposed to wilt, it was actually Florida State who kind right. of faded away in, you know, in their home stadium, home state. And that's all we heard was Boise State's probably going to fade in the in the heat. Right. Fourth quarter, the heat. they'll be tired. Yep. That was, and a it big was the exact line. opposite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was the exact opposite. So, I mean, that was pretty, pretty telling. And I think I think my main takeaway was how poor Florida State looked against the run on the interior. I know that Boise State brought back, I believe, all five starters on the offensive line from last year. Um, and here's an instance where I think returning production probably did make a difference. And I don't necessarily know that we'll see that every single game for Florida State where they continually get, you know, get gashed and bullied up the middle. But that was honestly kind of shocking to me. I thought that, that Florida State would be better up front. And if they can't get that fixed, the the breakneck pace that their offense is trying to play at really sticks their defense in a tough spot to be stuck out there if they're giving up chunks and chunks and chunks on the ground it's going to be really hard for them the rest of the year to stay fresh to stay competitive deep into games so that's just something really that i i want to watch moving forward and it's something that i'm kind of looking at this week as a teaser for later Ooh. in the show <laughs> we and we always like that i was surprised i thought cam Akers and even blackman i thought they both looked really good in the first half and then they just kind of disappeared and there was a couple of silly uh turnovers and whatnot but man it uh it really did seem like uh to a tale of two halves like it was a, a different team out there in the second half for florida state and i think yeah they just couldn't they couldn't live up to yeah well, like what you said with the heat and being at home you really would have thought that it was the other way around but uh, pretty interesting. Let's let's move over to Alabama Duke. Uh, at halftime, I was feeling good about my Duke call. Uh, I was feeling real good about it, and uh, 
I knew that, you know, 14-3 at half, I knew that Alabama could turn it on quickly if they wanted to or needed to. But I thought, you know, they're already up 11 points at the half. They are going to win this comfortably. Maybe they're not going to hit the gas pedal too much and they can just coast into it. But no, <laughs> no, no, no. That second half, that they came out uh, very hot. They scored 21 points pretty quickly in that third quarter. And uh, it was all over from there. I think my biggest disappointment from this game was uh, thinking that Quentin Harris, thinking that he was going to be competent. <laughs> I mean, 12 for 27 for only 97 yards, two interceptions. He just didn't do anything. Duke was only able to go three for 12 on, on third downs. They just really had no no rhythm in this game at all. They managed only 200 yards of offense, three points. If you would have told me, again, if you would have told me Bama's only scoring 42, I still would have felt fairly comfortable with that 33, 34 points that they that needed to make up, but uh just wasn't meant to be. I didn't watch a whole lot of this game. I, I just couldn't pull myself away from some of the other games on TV. But, uh yeah, I mean, Tua, Tua being Tua, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, it, <clears throat> it kind of seems like in the second half, they kind of just let the Alabama offense start to do things that they do. The one I – but – I don't know. The Jerry Judy is is amazing. I, I'm starting to come around on the fact that he he might actually be as good as everyone thinks. Um, I'm every time I watch Jalen Waddle, I get more and more impressed. And yeah, Tua is amazing. It's hard. Uh, it's hard for me to make cases against Tua, and then he comes out and does stuff like this. But I don't know. That's. I, my takeaway from the first half, whereas you might have been optimistic, the one thing that I saw was anytime Duke got on the field, it didn't matter if they have good field position, bad field position. I basically had no fear that Duke was going to score at a certain point. There was, yeah. they were, it, the only game that I can ever equate to for Alabama to like show their defensive dominance is it was a few years ago. They were playing Mississippi State, and I think the final score was like 7 nothing. But it was one of those types of games where it was Duke had no answers for the athleticism on Alabama's defense. And for as much as we all want to wanted to write them off when they lost their starting linebacker, I don't care. They're they are so much better athletically than anyone they're going to play this season until probably the playoff and maybe the SEC, eh, the SEC championship game. They're going to be dominant against everyone defensively, at least. Yeah, and I think it's also just a testament again to the depth and talented depth, um, which we already know about Alabama because of the way they recruit. But to see it put into put into practice and put into action is something completely different with those injuries and suspensions, et cetera. Um, I believe Bill Conley of ESPN noted that eight of Alabama's 14 um, players in their defensive uh, too deep were either true freshmen or true sophomores that played in that game. Um, so to, to get that kind of production and just absolute, I, I, I think I said they, they were their typical boa constrictor like self because they just kind of wrap themselves around the other team and just squeeze them to death. And it's scary to think that even a defense that was essentially so inexperienced could do that to one of the better coaches, I think, really in the country, David Cutcliffe, who never has the the talent to work with that other coaches do but always seems to get more than he probably should so to see that happen to to a a really good coach in my opinion um i think really speaks 
volumes to do, again, just the depth and the talent that Alabama has. Right. I think the one last kind of interesting thing to keep an eye on for Alabama is going to be their rushing breakdown. They've all, For the last couple of years, they've been a team that has distributed their uh, rushing attempts. They actually haven't had kind of a true one for the past couple of years. As much as like Josh Jacobs got hype in the draft process, he only carried the ball like six times a game. I don't know who the best one is. I still think it's Najee Harris, but I think you can make a case that Brian Robinson, Jerome Ford, or even Keelan Robinson are all really talented backs, and they've got enough talent there that I think we're going to see this type of thing all year. So at least for DFF or DFS purposes, unless they have kind of the perfect rushing matchup in the sense of like some, a team that lets up explosive rushing plays, they're kind of going to be a fade for me only just because I don't think anyone on that team is going to have consistent enough workload all season. Even with the suspensions playing a factor, I mean, the breakdowns for the running backs in this were 10 for Ford, 12 for Harris, 9 for Robinson, and 2 for Keelan Robinson. That's just too inconsistent. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think it's it's going to be tricky to know. Uh, and even if someone starts to emerge, are you going to feel comfortable that it's the same person the following week? <laughs> you know, like... It'll be it'll be hard to hard to tell for sure. Uh, let's move on. Uh, Auburn twenty seven, Oregon twenty one. Do we even want to this talk about? Do we even want to talk yeah. about this game? Like, do you really want me to go off for a few minutes here and just express my absolute frustration, or can we just be like, oh yeah, Oregon being Oregon, Auburn being Auburn, we all saw this coming. It's totally up. It's totally up to you. I mean, we all saw this coming. I mean, I wanted to be hopeful. And and shit, when it was 21 to 6 after that first drive in the, you in the second You said they half, were going to Florida State it. Like, you 100% yeah. said they were going to Florida yeah, State I, the game. I texted you guys and told you. because, And, you know, I, I got, I've got two numbers written down here on, this, on, the, on, the, on our show doc. I've got 94 and 14. 94 is, their, is Oregon's win probability after... They scored the touchdown. They gave the ball. They had to kick the ball back to, to Auburn. Auburn goes three and out. Oregon gets the ball. 94% chance to win the game from that point. 14 is my next number. You know what that number is? That is the longest pass Justin Herbert completed the rest of the game. Everything no, I, else. I was everything I was else was say, short. I was gonna say the number of beers you shotgunned after the game, but <laughs> no. I mean that's uh, that would have that would have probably been more constructive. No, they, they refused to throw the ball deep at all. They couldn't run the ball. They averaged less than three yards a carry. They were completing. I mean, Herbert had a decent line. If you look at his numbers, he went 28 for 37, but his yards per, per attempt was only 6.5. Like, he just was not throwing the ball deep. There was no vertical game. And, yeah, the, the receiving situation in Oregon was exactly as I was afraid it was. With, with Juwan out with this with his injury, and I think and Schuler, of course, is out too, they just don't have anyone other than Addison. And Addison dropped that touchdown pass in the first quarter that would have put them up 14, nothing. And it just, it was just atrocious play calling in in, in my opinion. And yes, Auburn's defense is good. We don't need to take anything away from that. They, they were not letting them run the ball, but the fact that you don't take any deep shots is just preposterous. Like third and three, third and four. What do we do? We throw a three yard pass. Like what, what's happening here? Why is there no, no attempt to, to let Justin Herbert win you the game? Auburn let let Bo Nix try to win the game for them. 
Now they didn't have any choices at that time. They had to kind of push the ball, but they didn't they didn't just go for that field goal on the last drive. They they tried to push the ball downfield and they were rewarded for it. Oregon refused to do anything other than what they always do, and that's this stupid dink and dunk stuff. Now with Dylan Mitchell, we saw a couple deep shots last year, but this was the same problem they had against Michigan State. Is they just wanted high when you were talking about the spread game earlier when we were talking about usc and all these short passes like yeah that can work if you want to keep games close but if you want to win games if you want to be in the playoff hunt if you want to win a national championship you got to have a vertical a vertical game and they just don't have it or refuse to try to have it so yeah other than that first uh touchdown pass that that justin herbert had his only touchdown pass uh which was awesome by the way i i don't, I don't know if you guys actually saw it i sent you guys the highlights but spencer webb just outmanning the dude oh, in the yeah. end zone. Oh, yeah, yeah. He just muscled him to the It's like, just... Yeah. Oh, but anyway, I, I'm not going to go off anymore. Oregon really just gave this one away. It was their own fault, and uh, it was... My wife, after the game, she's like, I don't remember seeing you this upset about a sporting event in a while. I was like, yeah, it hasn't been college football time in a while. <laughs> I was like, get ready. This is this is me every single week with Oregon. Like, uh, I hate it. It's so stupid because, like... I'd like to consider myself like an emotionally evolved human, but when it comes to Oregon football, I just revert into like a childhood. Like I just get angry and mopey and upset. I'm like, this shouldn't affect my emotions, but it does. Uh, yeah, I, I have a problem. Anyway, um, I until Oregon gets their receivers back, I'm not extremely confident that this team is going to be uh, a threat. I thought Die was really disappointing in the in the run game. Uh, Verdell was fine. He even had a couple receptions. But yeah, when when you're relying on Red and uh, Johnny Johnson with these, you know, hoping they can break something, like you don't have you don't have uh, the Black Mamba out there that can shake and bake and get get an 80 yard touchdown on a screen pass. So uh, disappointing. I I don't even know what to think about the the matchup versus Nevada next week. I'm uh, scared. I mean, but. I think you're at this point. You're sort of. Unirrationally uh, upset. Oh yeah, and I don't oh, mean no, that's this fair. to say. And I don't mean this to say like you guys very well should get to that Washington game now with one loss. I were you in? I mean, we'll get it. We'll mention this later when Jordan or if Jordan wants to talk about his bad beat. But did Stanford impress you? I, I mean, I don't. Stanford's defense is kind of Stanford's defense, but they did that against a Northwestern offense that was iffy. Cal is I'm I don't think you should be worried about Cal or Colorado so you've got Nevada Montana Stanford Cal Colorado of that stretch one of them is on the road and that's at Stanford you have one losable game before Washington I don't know I I mean I just think that Justin Herbert is going to hear how terrible Justin Herbert is all week and he's gonna like there, there's gonna if he's got pride. In I don't him even and know if it's this, on him though. But like, I mean, I think there is a level of if Justin Herbert wants to be the number one overall pick, he's going to play well in these next few games. All this is the most like ridiculous thing that I'm saying right now. But like, there is a level of it's now kind of prove it time for Justin Herbert because this realistically, we may not want to admit it, but Oregon was a a quiet playoff contender. And if they won this game, they probably were considered that. So I, I don't know your next losable game to me looks like it's Stanford and you probably win your next couple of games by over two touchdowns. Yeah. I guess, I guess your, what your point 
what you're pointing out is exactly where I'm feeling disappointed is I kind of was secretly hoping that this would be a playoff caliber team and it's already over after week one, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, but if Auburn, Auburn ends up a one loss team, this loss is going to look like if this is your only loss, but that does, that's not enough to get a pack 12 team are. in, but, but we I, can, we can I talk about losing... that later, I guess it's still yeah, so yeah. early, but yeah. Um, enough about that. Let's move on to uh, to me not tilting. Let's talk about Oklahoma Houston again. I was super low on Oklahoma. I I think Jalen Hurts might be a little bit better than I was giving him credit for. Um, was Bama using someone him incorrectly? This, or someone here said he was going to win the Heisman? <laughs> yeah, um, not not me. Clearly. Yeah, I I think that so after the first quarter, both Jordan and I basically said Oklahoma's a national championship contend. I'm actually, the end of the game, I'm souring on that a little bit. Like, I'm softening my position only because their defense started to look the same as last year. And the fact that, yes, they have the athletes. Yes, they um, are capable. And maybe it was because they pulled out to an early lead. But when the game was kind of on the line, Derek King was moving the ball down the field. And it there was a stretch where... Houston was an onside kick away from really turning it into a game. And I don't know. I, I'm souring a little bit on the uh, Oklahoma is a true national championship contender because their defense looks better. I think their defense will be better because they had a historically atrocious defense. But now when you look at uh, where their offense is, I think it's just going to look a lot different than last year's. And it's potentially going to be almost better for them because they're going to their defense is going to almost be keep away while they still manage to score 40 points a game Mm, yeah what do you think jordan i mean i'm i understand what matt's saying about like fading a little bit down the stretch of the game but i'm i'm actually pretty i take a pretty positive uh takeaway from oklahoma's defense still and i think that and like you said, I think Jalen Hurts is just gonna. It's he's just gonna operate this offense differently than Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray did, and and he has like legit four or five speed. Like I don't know. I mean, oh, he is quick. We he talked. Is. We we talked about like Houston's defense being depleted and maybe just bad, but when he when he would just take a QB draw up the middle. He was accelerating past linebackers, past safeties, and just leaving them in the dust. Like, dude has legit speed. And that's not something I don't think we really thought we – that probably wasn't the perception necessarily no, it wasn't. from his time at Alabama. We thought of him as kind of like a clunky, like more of a pocket thrower, but still had still had the ability to move, but not, not like this. So, I mean, if this is something that we see, and he's obviously not going to rack up you know, 600 yards every single game, obviously, but I don't know, man. Like it's, it's just all credit to Lincoln, who good as much as it, it's definitely talent. He, he, he has talent every year, but I dare you to find a better coach right now in college. I don't Ryan think, Day. I don't think, please. I'm done. Nah, that, was, that was, that was nah. a joke. Nah, Mar- nah, Mario nah. Cristobal. No, nah, he's, he's, <laughs> he's levels. He's Lincoln Riley is like uh, levels yeah. above those guys. Well, like, I would, well, it's, and I get so envious too. Like imagine him with 
Justin Herbert, you know, just to go back to Oregon sure. because, you know, oh man, yeah. it'd be so much fun. But no, yeah, yeah, he he knows how to get the best out of his players for sure. I mean, back to back Heisman, <laughs> kind of a uh, kind of uh, proof in the pudding right there. Back to back to back coming. There you go. And that Trey would be... Sermon too. Yeah, yeah. Just real quick, I just want to mention Trey Sermon because he looked really, really good. Um, obviously, didn't have a huge workload, especially because Jalen Hurts was running the ball so much, which is probably going to continue. So I don't think Sermon is really going to get a large uh, workload throughout the season. But he looks more fluid and agile than I remember him looking in the past. And he's already a really good pass catcher. And I think he's someone who is probably going to climb as we move forward. He looked better than Kennedy Brooks, in my opinion. Yeah, substantially. Um, yeah. So I think Sermon should be the guy moving forward. And, I, and I've talked about him on the show even last year. Um, I always kind of liked him. And I know that he's never going to be like a 250 carry guy because of the offense, but he has juice. And I think that he's kind of flying under the radar a little bit because of how well-rounded and seemingly athletic he is. Yeah. Hey, I've, I've talked about Trey Sermon too. I just, it was always negative. Was <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. have always yeah. said mean things about him. <laughs> yeah. And I've always, I'm a, I'm a Kennedy Brooks truther. So I'm always, I, I mentioned Brooks last week, you know, like I, I just want him to be a thing, but let's, let's uh, transition with that into talking a little bit about Debbie. I, I put a couple names down. I, I, I love talking Debbie with both of you because I'm so new to it that I'm, I'm really learning a lot about what to look for, uh, which has been really interesting. I've kind of started watching these games with from a different perspective. So um, I, I put a couple of names down that, that I wanted to hear you guys' thoughts on, and then just also your thoughts in general. But but someone who had kind of a, from a yardage perspective, not a huge day, but Aaron Fuller, the wide receiver for, for the University of Washington, just looks impressive out there. I don't know if you guys saw his one-handed touchdown grab, but it was really, really nice. Uh, he ended up going five for 73 with two touchdowns. Is Aaron Fuller uh, someone that we could be even thinking about or, or maybe putting on a watch list to, to monitor? Or am I just Pac-12, you know, heart-shaped eye emoji uh, wrong about these things? I mean, I, I'm not a, I don't necessarily think that Aaron Fuller is this eventual superstar player. I, I feel like he's going to get the kind of similar level hype that like a Dylan Mitchell got where he probably won't end up getting the draft capital that'll turn him into a uh, meaningful Debbie asset. He's not really that big. Uh, 247 has him listed at 5'11 and 188 pounds. He did manage last year to get 26% market share of their receiving yards. I think it's, I mean, I think he's a decent player. Um, he'll definitely be the best player on a team that gets enough national coverage that it should help him get some exposure. I don't necessarily think he has much Debbie value and other than as a late, later, late, late pick in your drafts, yeah. just to kind of stash. If you think that, Hey, maybe he becomes a 35% market share of yards guy this year and just takes over. But I, if I'm looking at him and being kind of honest with it, he's a former three-star prospect. He's not that big. There's a lot of what makes him different than the next guy. And, and truthfully, he's a senior, so I'm not – that always kind of sours me a little bit because sure. you, if they're if they're really great, you kind of want them to come out early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, and also just real quick too, he, it, it looks like he's never really been a huge contributor in the uh, kick return game either, which is something that we always like to identify for – 
fringe type guys, smaller, especially smaller stature, smaller stature fringe type guys. It generally helps if they're um, included in the kick return game. That gives them a little bit of a boost. So he doesn't have that really going for him either. Um, so I, I'm pretty much on the same side as Matt on this one. Yeah. Another guy that's just stick with the Pac-12, Zach Moss, running back for Utah, had a game. He had 29 carries, which is just uh, abuse right there. 187 for one touchdown. He had those two receptions that you guys have me looking for, only seven yards. Do do the yards per catch mean much to you? I mean, obviously more is better, but or, or do you just want to see them active to some level in the passing game? Uh, so that, that was a line that stuck out to me because, I mean, Moss is a guy we've all heard of. Uh, he put up a nice rushing game, but those two receptions, the fact that they were for a few yardages, for a few yards, did that does that bother you, or do you just want to see total number of receptions? Jordan, why don't you start, and then we'll head over to Matt. I think there's a couple ways to look at it, and um, I think that the volume of receptions or receptions per game is probably more indicative of, of what I'm looking for as opposed to yards per reception for a running back. Um, and Moss is interesting because last year he only played in nine games and had eight receptions, which was a really big drop off from 2017 when he played in 13 games and had 29 receptions, which is terrific. Um, and that, that was along with 1100 yards and 10 touchdowns on the ground. So he's an interesting prospect. Um, again, he's, this is his senior season. We obviously like to see, um, youth, uh, factors in pretty heavily in running backs. So just by, the sheer fact that he's used up his eligibility uh, come spring, he'll be um, an older prospect, relatively speaking, but his production is there. We've seen him be a competent, um, productor, prolific pass catcher uh, in 2017 as a sophomore. So, I mean, he's sort of like flying under the radar a little bit. I think, obviously, like you said, most people know who he is, but because of the depth and talent in the 2020 running back class, I think he just naturally gets pushed down a little bit. But that's value. Right. Um, so, right. I mean, as he as we move forward, if he stays productive, you know, goes over a thousand yards rushing again, maybe bumps up his receiving um, totals a little bit more. He'll he'll be right there in that mid tier um, in the 2020 class. Great. Yeah. And Matt, just still still sticking on Moss, but also just using him more as like a case study for overall big, big picture stuff. A guy who gets, you know, 25 to 30 carries a game. Does that lower his stock come NFL time because he's already got so much wear and tear? Or are you like, man, I'd like to see this guy's ability to take a heavy workload? How, how do you kind of parse that out when you're when you're looking at these Debbie prospects? Unfortunately, the answer is it's sort of case by case. Dependent. I don't like that. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, I, I wish I had, there was a clear cut answer. I like to see running backs be a workhorse. I want to see them be a workhorse. Well, but if like they the are Josh getting Jacob stuff that you were just talking about, like he wasn't that. So it's hard to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Continue, well, I, the only I didn't like Josh Jacobs. I think right. I've I've talked about this before, but I wasn't a big Josh Jacobs guy. I thought that the reason he got drafted high was because of a highlight against Oklahoma. Um, and like people might hate me for that, but that I, the truth, it bumped his stock way up. But for a guy like Moss, the I think I would like to see him if he's gonna get this heavy a workload and he's gonna be this workhorse type back. I would like to see him stay healthy because part of my concern with him now is um, is he a potential injury risk because he is coming off a relatively serious knee injury. Um, 
so for him, I, like I said, I think the answer is going to be stay healthy for the year. And I, I don't mind a big workload. Like I, I like Derrick Henry and Derrick Henry got run into the ground at Eric at uh, Alabama. Mm-hmm. I, I liked, um, I liked Royce Freeman and Royce Freeman pretty much got run into the ground. It's it. That's why it's sort of weird to kind of give a, I don't want like, realistically, I don't want 25 to 30. My ideal number is probably like 22 to 26 um but at the same time like it, it's I, I don't know i think it, it it's it's a weird case by case situation and I, yeah i i like moss from a just player now to pe- player specific i liked moss i saw a lot of the kind of sharp film guys tell me that moss was one of these undervalued players it was a player i targeted a lot in college fantasy and got zero of because i'm I just missed out on him by a couple of picks, but he's he's a really good player. I think that for him, he's going to need to test well at the combine to really separate himself. He uh, because as we've said it uh, probably a hundred times, the 2020 running back class is disgustingly good, and a guy like Cam Akers really could fall, and he might be an amazing athlete. AJ Dillon might fall, and he could be an amazing athlete. So you're going to have to have this combination of production and truly setting yourself apart it at the combine so we'll see he's he's sort of a unique prospect to me and i'm i'm hopeful yeah no that's good uh i appreciate y'all's takes on that and yeah of course uh fun thing about debbie is moss could have tremendous value if he ends up like say kansas city <laughs> were to draft him next year or if he ends up at a place where he's you know behind joe mixon and two other guys like trevion williams he has zero value so it's always uh, dependent on where they where they end up, but he's someone that I've you know I've I've highlighted him on my lists. Uh, let's uh, just hear like a, a minute or two from each of you on on one other guy that you want to touch on, Jordan. Why don't you give us a give us a player that you either moved up or moved down after this last week? Yeah, so one of the guys that I'll be profiling in my article that's going to come out a little bit later this week is um, Sage Surratt, the wide receiver at Wake Forest. He had a really good game last week. I'll save most of the details for the article, but needless to say, I I tabbed him as a guy in my ACC opportunity report earlier this year who stood to gain a substantial amount of opportunity with Greg Dortch leaving early for the NFL. And he has the size. Um, I don't necessarily think he's like an incredible athlete necessarily. He's not going to blow up the combine, but I think that he could have a pretty pretty productive season as the main alpha guy there at wake forest a team that runs a ton of plays is up up tempo basically all the time has a decent quarterback um uh, a good a very good head coach uh stability it seems like so he's a guy that i that that popped out um for me this week and someone who i think is going to see his value rise not just from last week to now but uh moving forward as well yeah, great. How about you, Matt? Um, so I'm going to cheat a little bit because that's what I do on this podcast. So Chuba Hubbard, loved him, uh, told everyone that he was going to be amazing, told everyone that Oregon State and Oklahoma State was going to be a really fun game and was pretty happy to see that uh, that score go pretty crazy. But the player that I'm going to talk about, and similar to Jordan, he's going to – most of our – I'm going to focus kind of this year on the group of five teams. And one of the players that I am going to keep – a very close eye on this season is Antonio Gandy golden out of Liberty. 
He has been one of the most dominant receivers over the past few years, but because he was in an FCS program, a lot of people didn't realize how great he'd really been. And then last year they made their uh, debut in the FCS and he was another, I'm just pulling the numbers up real fast. He had another very strong year. He put up a 33% market share of their receiving yards. And then to open this year, he had 119 receiving yards, which, okay, that's a strong number. But when you put in comparison to the fact that the team only had 238 yards, well, yeah. <laughs> he had, he was 50% of their passing offense. And that for to make it even uh, more egregious, their rushing offense accounted for four total yards of offense. Now that includes sack yards, but four total – or I'm sorry, negative four yards – so he was basically responsible for more than 50% of this team's offense. Now, that wasn't a loss, and it was um, – he didn't end up getting into the end zone at all. But he's a guy that I have been keeping a close eye on for the last couple of years. And I'm, I am I think he's a guy that should be considered in this like end of day three in the similar vein that we've looked at um, guys like Justin Watts, or Was- Watson a couple of years ago. Um, I just think that he's he's a really, really good player, and maybe uh, maybe your league doesn't know about him yet, but he's a guy that has a lot of value. And if people are going to look at a team that's not doing very well and let him be acquired for cheap, he's a guy I'm, I'm targeting as much as I can. Nice. That's, that's, that's a good name. I like those uh, deeper cuts. Uh, you, you, you mentioned minus four yards rushing and it just uh, did you guys see that michigan state held tulsa to negative 73 yards rushing this week i mean just absolutely yeah. stupid michigan state is gonna be nasty on defense. oh my goodness and, what and a, the best part is that the tulsa running back before the game was like yeah i think we can hit 200 yeah. um, oh, just geez. just owning yourself in the most epic yeah. way possible just, yeah all right let's take a quick break here guys let's uh hear from uh, one of our sponsors here and then we will be back in about 30 seconds Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. All right, we are back. We're going to get into our preview and picks section here. Uh, we're going to kind of speed through this so that we can give you uh, quite a few takes here. Let's start with Army at Michigan. Michigan favored by 23 points. Let's hear it, Jordan. Yeah, so I lean with Army at plus 23. Um Michigan looked a little bit sluggish early on against Middle Tennessee last week, eventually turned it on. Um, But also on the other side, Army looked a little bit underwhelming against Rice, uh, surrendering 181 rushing yards, which could be an issue this week. But I I still think that Army has enough on offense in their system to be able to sort of grind this game down. They're going to be running into a very tough uh, Michigan run defense, but I believe that Army has enough to kind of shorten the game I do not believe Army is going to win. Um, this is not a money line play, but I think that they can keep it within, a, you know, around three touchdowns. So, a lean on Army and the points at plus twenty-three. Matt, um, I'm the same way. I'm I'm 
leaning army. It's a, I, I don't feel super confident in it, but my logic is basically that it's hard to beat a team by three scores when they are trying to completely take the air out of the ball. Right. And that's, yeah. No, no, I think that's a good take. I mean, army, army will be looking to run the ball. And yeah, I think I think it's a sweep right there. All, all three of us kind of leaning army. I don't know if any of us feel super, super confident about it. Let's get to a game that I highlighted as one of the ones I'm most looking forward to for the entire year. And that's Texas A&M at Clemson. Clemson favored by 17 and a half right now. I'm curious if that line will shift at all uh, once money starts coming in on it throughout the week. Uh, but Matt, why don't you lead the way on this one? Texas A&M at Clemson. I'm going to be honest and say that I haven't spent a huge amount of time looking into this game yet. Um, but I do think Texas A&M is probably the third or fourth best, te- or fourth best team in the SEC. And as good as Clemson is, it's hard to run away from a good team. I say that they ran away from Alabama last year, but I don't have a great feel for it. I would take – in a situation like this when I think that there's two very talented teams on the field, I'm trying to get as many points as I can. I get more than two touchdowns with a strong SEC team. Yeah, I'm there too. I lean on Texas A&M plus the point seventeen and a half. Um, obviously, Trevor Lawrence is not bad, um, but he looked shockingly human last week. Um, yeah, I know it's wild. He threw uh, two interceptions, only completed about fifty-seven percent of his throws against a completely rebuilt uh, Georgia Tech team. Um, not obviously, I'm not anticipating him struggling moving forward consistently, but I think that that might say something uh, with just a quick turnaround to an incredibly uh, a much much better defense with Texas A&M, um, just scheme, ath- athletic, uh, just all around stability, just a better defense. Um, I think that again, I, I don't necessarily think this is a money line play. I think Clemson wins, but I anticipate it being a little bit closer probably about a two touchdown game um like matt said it's tough to blow it's tough to blow out really like solid competitive teams and i think a&m has enough talent and stability to be able to keep it close maybe give clemson a little bit of a scare but i think clemson probably pulls away near the end probably i would say like a 13 14 point win so i'll take texas a&m in the points yep it's another sweep i mean i wouldn't have called this one of my games i'm most looking forward to if i thought Clemson was just going to beat them by three or four touchdowns. So I think they keep it close. I think Kellen Mond is going to have an, a really, really strong game for Texas A&M. I don't think it's going to be enough, uh, but I, I'm looking forward to see uh, to see what happens here. Matt, did you have something it's, to add? It's also hard to just assume that ETN is going to just blow away Texas A&M in the same way that he did Georgia oh, Tech. Oh, but so. he looked good. He looked so good. I mean, he's great. He's he's definitely amazing, but it's definitely a uh, – it's, it's hard to – do that to a competent defense and georgia tech's not competent this year they're going to win like three games Mm -hmm. if that yeah well why don't you lead the way here matt since you're since you're on a roll here lsu at texas lsu fair four and a half where you going on this one i get tom herman as a home underdog against a team that is uh traditionally not very good at scoring a lot of points i like texas to keep it close i i do think lsu is a better team and i think they're gonna win but i think it's it's texas as an underdog i'm i can't go against it yeah it's they've got a nice track record here <laughs> that's for sure by the way who the heck wrote this note on the show docs J- screw jalen hurts for heisman <laughs> <laughs> who do you think <laughs> 
Well, I mean, we're, we're so quick to point out Jalen Hurts' amazing performance, and there's little old Joe Burrow over there just sitting all by himself in the corner. Just I right. have given Joe Burrow so many shout-outs on this pod. but No, yeah. I know. Not it's this year. Not this year, though. It, <laughs> I still love you, Joe. It's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but, I mean, he did look – I mean, I didn't personally see any of that game, even though I had that as one of my picks that went horribly wrong. Um, but I didn't actually get to see any of it, but the stat line is pretty, pretty amazing. He completed 85% of his throws, five touchdowns, no interceptions, averaged 14 adjusted yards per attempt. I mean, that's about as good as you can do. Um, and I, I think that I 100% agree with Matt's point on Herman as an underdog, which is kind of like the standard bear line. If you listen to college football betting, um, and it's hard to turn against that but i'm gonna lean lsu here laying four and a half it's a bad number um but i think that there's a chance i i think i think there's a chance that lsu might even win this by double digits um if this offense is obviously it was against georgia southern which is a a big difference from texas's defense but if this offense really is different and if they're willing to throw the ball um that changes everything. We've seen it. We've seen it with Alabama. If you think back before Tua, before Tua was Tua, and Alabama struggled to score 14 points in a game, and they were boring but good because they were dominant on defense. Well, LSU is pretty good on defense now. And if you add in a downfield-oriented uh, offense that's not afraid to throw the ball for chunk plays, then things get really interesting. I'm not saying LSU is quite there yet, but I think the top to bottom, they're the better team. I know it's going against the Herman underdog trend, but I'll lean with LSU laying four and a half. He lost against the spread against Oklahoma last year as a dog in uh, the Big 12. It happens. It happens. Yeah, I'm actually going. <laughs> I'm actually going with the Texas to to flat out win the game. I think Ellen. Yeah. I think Ellinger is going to have a really really strong performance. I love the fact that he was able again. Louisiana Tech's not you know some ta- some beacon of strength. Uh, but he was able to get Texas to 45 points with only rushing for 34 yards. The fact that he was able to to throw as effectively uh, as he was, four touchdown passes, 276 yards on 38 attempts, um, is great. I think Colin Johnson's going to have a monster, monster game. Uh, I think I think what will be interesting is to see what Texas can do running the ball with people not named Ellinger. Like, can Ingram get loose? Uh, can 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 their other running backs uh, contribute some way as well? Uh, I, I'm curious to see this one. I think this is going to be a really really close game. Uh, I think Texas pulls out the win. Uh, that's actually where I'd bet. I'd bet the money line there, and I uh, my my level of confidence isn't like an eight or anything like that. But uh, I, I I do feel like Texas is in a pretty good spot here at home. Um, and uh, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, I, I skipped over our lock review. I want to do that real quick before we get into this week's locks. Matt went a beautiful 3-0. He, You picked the, the Oregon-Auburn under. You had the over on Wake and Utah State. And you did the over on Oklahoma-Houston. Uh, we, we see a trend here. You like to, you like to, co- you like to, to bet like on the totals. totals. Yeah, which is great. Uh, I went 0-1 with my Duke. God, oh, man. That's looking back. I feel so foolish, <laughs> but at halftime, I felt great. Uh, Jordan, you went one and two. You had Virginia, which you got, you got, and then Northwestern and uh, Georgia Southern. Uh, unfortunately, didn't pan out. Uh, I'd really like to go into a two-hour uh, 
tirade on on the Northwestern game, but we won't we won't do that at all to you. Uh, instead, let's uh, just transition into your locks for this week, Jordan. Uh, why don't you give us uh, the one you feel most confident about first? Okay, one that stuck out to me was Mississippi State minus six and a half at home against Southern Miss. Um, the one caveat with this is with Mississippi State's um, sanctions for their academic. I don't know the best way to phrase uh, the situation that's going on there. Yeah, um, it is interesting or it's important to keep in mind that there were seven players suspended for the last game. And I read somewhere that there may be more moving forward. We just don't know. So that's something to keep in mind, betting them just in general. But aside from that, um, I think that Tommy Stevens looked really good in his first game. Um, replacing Nick's, Nick Fitzgerald from last season. I think Stevens gives them a better chance for Moorhead's offense to operate the way it needs to with downfield shots complementing the run game. Uh, Nick Fitzgerald just could not, flat out couldn't do that, which really limited them last year. Kylan Hill looks like he's going to be the workhorse. He looks primed to assume the Saquon Barkley role in Moorhead's offense, and we know how that turned out. I think that he's on the rise, ascending quickly. Um, Moorhead obviously has only been there for one season, but he's 4-2-0 against the spread against non-conference opponents with an average margin of victory of 28 points and 5-1-0 against the spread as a home favorite, um, averaging a 33-point win um, in those games. So, uh, Southern Miss, um, the final score when they played Alcorn State last week was a little bit deceiving because I think um, the score was boosted because they had two special teams touchdowns. And we're only and we're only averaging 3.4 yards per carry against an FCS opponent, which is not promising. And I'm pretty sure that their leading rusher from last year, uh, Travinsky Mosley, I think, uh, hurt his leg, and I'm not sure if he's going to be able to play. They also are missing Quez Watkins, who is their by far their best offensive player. He's going to be suspended, missing this game as well. Um, so essentially, I think Southern Miss is a little bit banged up, missing some of their key pieces. I think Mississippi State is kind of on the upswing, and it's pretty clear that Moorhead is not afraid to sort of build in a margin of victory in these types of situations, at least so far. So I'll take Mississippi State minus sixteen and a half. All right, sounds good, Matt. Give us give us one of give, give us one of your locks. Um, the one I'm most confident in uh, is Fresno State plus three against Minnesota. Um, since 2016, Fresno State is 7-0 and as a home underdog. And if you look at them just as an underdog in general, they're 16-4 and against the number. Um, and under P.J. Fleck, Minnesota is only 3-6 and against the spread as a favorite. And... 0-1 is a road favorite. Those numbers are really small just because Minnesota's not uh, used to being a favorite. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I really like or I, I really think that this Minnesota team, people are trying to push really hard to make them a true Big Ten contender or at least a Big Ten West contender. I don't like this number at all for them. And as a road favorite, give me points with a proven commodity in Fresno State. So um kind of seemed like a no-brainer to me i think they win it outright well that, that's good um i i'm not gonna go I'll, I'll give you my two at the very end because they're such i i've so i'm very i'm feeling very jaded this week so <laughs> i don't have a whole lot of confidence <laughs> but matt i actually like your other pick an awful lot so why don't you uh tell us about that one 
So I took UCF uh, at minus nine and a half against Florida Atlantic. Um, I didn't actually think Florida Atlantic was good, despite the final score and them covering last week um, against ranked teams last year. They were 0-2 against the number, um, and their cover last week definitely seemed like it was more of an Ohio State team letting off uh, the Agreed. gas. Yeah, and then so and then beyond that. Uh, UCF has been a favorite a lot since uh, 2018 um, under their new coach. So as a favorite, they're 10 and three against the spread. I just don't think 10 points is enough. Um, yes, UCF beat up a really bad team in Florida State, beat up a or got beat up by a really good team. I don't. I just don't think 10 points is enough. Give me Central Florida all day. Uh, I the number could probably move to 11, and I still love it. So that's UCF over Florida Atlantic. I I like that one a lot. I wish I would have put that as mine. Uh, Jordan, give us your other one. Could have copied. Yeah, <laughs> copy paste. Yeah, so this one I'm not as confident in, but I think it's a play on uh, a little bit of a dicey situation at Florida State. Uh, Louisiana Monroe is plus 21 and a half going to Tallahassee. And obviously Florida State is the more talented team. But I feel like you kind of have to wonder like where their heads are at after such a disappointing finish against Boise State. They were up early in that game, looked to be dominating, fell apart. They could rebound and get things right, but I am a little bit worried about the defense up the middle. Uh, Louisiana Monroe brings back, I believe, all five of their starters on the offensive line. Um, so again, that's a play on you know a, a weakness that I perceive and a potential strength. Again, I don't think that uh, ULM will will win outright, but this is one where I think Florida State is maybe searching a little bit after last week. And Willie Taggart, uh, at, during his time at FSU, is two five and zero against the spread as a favorite, and he's one and four against the spread against non-conference. So short sample, but head coach Willie Taggart has not been good against the number as a favorite or out of conference. It's a little bit of a risk, but um, I think it might be a, a time to take advantage. Yeah, no, I, I like it. Uh, the two that I, I kind of uh, kind of jumped out at me, Nevada getting 21 and a half at Oregon. Again, I, so this, might, this might be a spiteful pick. I think Oregon will win, uh, but I think they win by, you know, 17 points, not 21 and a half. Again, I, the, the, the difficult one with this is if they're able to get a couple short fields, if Vardell and Die can can break loose in the running game. Anything can change, but if they if they have to pass the ball, it's not going to happen because they won't. Uh, so Nevada with such a huge line, uh, twenty one and a half. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll lean with them. And then Stanford getting three and a half points versus USC. Again, we talked about this at the top with JT being uh, out. I I think that's going to be a really really close game. I'm going to lean Stanford on that one with the three and a half points. So uh, those are my two for the week. Uh, the one I liked the best was Matt's uh, UCF versus Florida Atlantic. So you know, now you're bound to get that one wrong, Matt. Sorry, it's the kiss of death. But <laughs> it's worth <laughs> noting that it's it looks like it's already moving. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna change my lock to ten and a half because I I just saw it up at ten and a half. Okay. Yeah. Shop your numbers if you're if you're actually gonna if you're gonna lay money on this. Shop it as long as you can because right. if you can get it at nine and a half, I like it a lot better. But and if it's Ten already moving, I, that's nice. If it's already Ten. moving, you want to start getting in on that pretty quick here too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's going to do it for this week. I uh, have a three-day three, three day long kayaking trip down the Colorado River coming up here. So uh, wish me luck. Hopefully I am back again next week and not 
uh, drowned somewhere on the side of a riverbank. Um, but I will be back in time Jesus. for some. Yeah, it's, it, it's getting dark, boys. It's getting real dark. If, We're yeah. one week into the season. I know that's the problem. It's only week one, and I'm already depressed. Uh, no, it's, it's. I'm gonna be back on Thursday though, so I'll have plenty of time to to watch some football and to recover from my uh, my sunburnt body because it's supposed to be like a hundred hundred and one degrees in this canyon. It's gonna be a little sauna. It's gonna be rough, but I'm excited about it. It's gonna be fun. Um, any any last final words? Not final. I shouldn't say final words after talking about <laughs> being uh, belly up in a river. This is such a fun day. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's always good times with me. Uh, that's why my Twitter handle is Stay Fun Leco. I have to I have to remind myself to be fun and have and have positive thoughts. But anything from you guys? Any positive thoughts for the listeners before we take off? Ohio State win the national championship. There you go. I I don't know. I'm just I'm still recovering from Northwestern. So I mean I'm sort of in the dark place too. But we'll we'll get it right. We're yeah. we're moving on, looking onward and upward, and shoulders back, chin up, moving forward. Yep, it, it can only get better. It can only get better. <laughs> Except for Matt, things can only get worse for you, buddy. You're not yeah, gonna I mean, stand. I'm, I'm about to hit like a, I'm gonna get a run of like eight straight losses. No, it's no way. You're going undefeated this year. It's gonna be a beautiful thing. Cool. Well, that's gonna do it for us. We'll be back with you. Um, early next week we're not sure exactly when but it'll be it'll be in the first half of the week so you can look forward to that we'll get you caught up on everything you need to know college football wise of course we'll we'll dive into some debbie stuff do hit us up on twitter if you have any questions uh just search for the rotoviz college football show and you will find us quickly uh jordan tell everyone where they can find you yeah on twitter at j hoover 9787 and articles at rotoviz you can find me at wispy the kid on twitter and uh on rotoviz Yeah, perfect. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with you next week. Until then, have a great time. All right. There's ghosts haunting these woods, and they're headed straight for Roaring Camp Railroads. Is it a trick? No. It's Thomas and Percy's Halloween party. And with a bounce house, pumpkin patch, temporary tattoos and face painting, plus photos with Sir Top and Pat, it's certainly going to be a treat. So get down to Roaring Camp before all the fun disappears. Weekends October 12th through the 27th. This September at local area Subway restaurants, your meal purchase will help our neighbors in need. Purchase a sub drink and chips and help us donate 200,000 meals to local Feeding America food banks. Subway meal includes any sub, salad, or wrap with any drink and chips or two cookies. For every two meals purchased through September 30th, participating Subway restaurants will donate one meal up to 200,000 meals to San Francisco and East North South Bay Area food banks. One meal is the monetary equivalent of 10 cents. Meals secured by Feeding America on behalf of local member food banks. So pick up a great meal and make a difference in the community.